The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our armed forces who are joining us from far away from home over the Internet today, as well as new listeners tuning in from all 50 states in the Union. Thank you for your many emails and letters and for making us part of your Newsweek. In just a moment, former governor of Virginia and presidential candidate Mr. Jim Gilmore will be joining us to talk about a policy on which he passionately disagreed with his fellow 2016 candidates, and that is what a rational, fair, safe, and effective comprehensive immigration policy should look like. Lately, we've been so distracted by the proposed temporary immigration ban, no one is talking about the components that a permanent plan must contain. We'll also find out if President Trump faces an uphill climb with a GOP Congress split over issues like health care, the proposed budget, and other reforms our new president is putting forth. But before Mr. Gilmore joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. James Stewart Gilmore was born in Richmond, Virginia, and received his undergraduate and law degree from the University of Virginia. Between degrees, Gilmore enlisted in the United States Army, where he worked in counterintelligence. In 1993, Gilmore was elected Attorney General of Virginia, a position he held until 97 when he made the decision to run for governor. In 98, Jim Gilmore became the 68th governor of Virginia, and I might add the first governor to appoint a secretary of technology. He chaired the Congressional Advisory Panel to assess domestic capabilities for terrorism involving weapons of mass destruction, and and he also served as chairman of the Republican National Committee. And as I mentioned earlier, Gilmore has been a candidate in both the 2008 and 2016 presidential elections. Today, Mr. Gilmore is the CEO of the Free Congress Foundation, a conservative think tank, and serves on the board of the National Rifle Association. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report, former governor of Virginia and presidential candidate, Mr. Jim Gilmore. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Gilmore. Thank you, Rebecca. I understand that while you're national, you actually have some connection, don't you, to Carmel, California? <laughs> I do, indeed. Uh, I spend half my time, uh, when I have free time, between Carmel, California and Astoria, Oregon. And I'll tell you, I just have the best of both worlds, don't I? <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. Well, I, will, I just will tell you that I studied German at the Defense Language Institute in Monterey and spent a lot of time on the Carmel Peninsula. Oh, no kidding. That is one of our uh, most prized assets. The Defense Language Institute, as you know, plays such a, an important role in our, uh, in our defense uh, systems here uh, by training people in many, many languages uh, to be fluent, uh, literally, without accents or anything. Uh, it's a fantastic resource, and I've used them many, many times. Uh, before yep. we dive into the subject of immigration, I wonder if you'd like to comment on the postponement of the vote on the American Health Care Act. Would you like to say a few words about that? Well, all the, the only thing I would say is the postponement clearly means that they don't yet have enough votes to, to pass the program that they've got up there. Uh, and, you know, this is a, it's, it's obviously very complicated. The Obamacare is in existence. The Democrats aren't going to vote for anything that changes anything about Obamacare. Meanwhile, the Republicans are trying to find a better solution than a state-run health care program, uh, and they're putting forward a, an idea, but many of the conservatives don't think it's gone far enough. So that debate is being ironed out right now. But the key thing is this. I think we have to really ask ourselves, how can we have a good health care program uh, that doesn't just blow up the cost of health care everywhere, 
uh, and uh, you know make sure that that people have the ability in a free market system to get things, to buy things that are affordable. And I believe that the free market will supply that if given the opportunity. On such a complex issue like health care. I think I speak for many people. What is the point of rushing an, a comprehensive program through? I mean, why not? I'm an incrementalist myself. Why not take a, a small piece of it, reform that, and then, you know, move to stage two, stage three, stage four, but trying to do it all in one big fell swoop? Uh, it just seems like the unintended consequences that could potentially occur down the road are, are enormous. And there are elements of the current plan that are perfectly acceptable. Uh, the idea, for example, of eliminating the, or, or making sure that, that people can get covered if they have pre-existing conditions, that is a universally accepted ideal. Sure, everybody can agree on that. Yeah, everybody, everybody can, can agree, agree on that. Yeah. So the question now is how can you construct your, your uh, you know, a free market system that fixes a few of those, those issues like that? And, uh, and, you know, maintains the liberty of people to decide for themselves what they want and what they don't want. The real problem, I think, for conservatives is they really don't like forcing all Americans into a one-size-fits-all program. They really don't like that. They want Americans to have the liberty to buy and sell on the open marketplace and they will not be forced into a requirement that they buy something they may not want or a program they may not want. And I think that's what's really bothering the conservatives in this country. Well, I'll tell you what makes me nervous is having a 24-hour postponement uh, seems pretty risky because uh, if you don't get it done in 24 hours, what are you going to go for a third postponement and a fourth and a fifth? Um, I mean, it's not looking good. Well, I'm like you. I think that we uh, we can get the job done. Uh, and we're only at the beginning of the Trump administration. Uh, there's been a lot of criticism that they didn't have a program ready to go right into the can. But the fact is that it was very hard to, to try to devise something when you just thought that there would always be a president who was going to veto it. Mm-hmm. So now we've got a president who's willing to, to work constructively to try to do something for the American people in this area. And, you know, it's going to take a little time to, to define it and to create it. These things are so complicated if you just phase it in. You know, in, in Silicon Valley, I'm close to Silicon Valley, uh, in the software industry, there's a reason you have 1.0, 2.0, It's because everything that didn't work in 1.0 is perfected to release in 2.0. Right. So the things well, that you weren't able to test properly and see if they work, uh, you, you just don't put out on the table. We all had the experience already of Obamacare's uh, miserable launch of the website that didn't work. And, and then these exchanges that weren't completely thought out that are where you've got insurers pulling out of states right and left and insurance costs going up. This isn't something that I, I frankly want to see rushed. Well, I think you're right. That's why you're a national radio person, you see, because you you got the right idea about this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I hope our listeners are listening to that. That's a compliment for, from from the governor <laughs> that I, I, w- I want to slow the roll. Uh, if, if it's something this important and, uh, and it's something this complicated uh, and uh, has that many facets on it, the, the more you rush, the more likely an unintended consequence is going to, you know, is going to bite us in the foot. Uh, and so I, I really wish they'd slow the roll on this thing, but it looks like it's only going to be slowed for 24 hours, which I, I don't think is enough. But you, you feel confident they'll have enough votes at the end. Uh, I have, I cannot predict that, as a matter of fact. I, I don't know what's going to happen. All I will want to do is agree with you, and that is if they can't get the votes today or tomorrow, we have plenty of time in this administration to put things together so that it will fit together and it will work. I, I believe that the, the un, unaddressed issue, is that we have to do we have to make a case to the American people as to why we're trying to make the change, and uh, the the left in this country has has been in charge of this issue now for eight years or even longer than when uh, Hillary was trying to put in uh, uh, you know socialized health health care, and so they've made the narrative that this is nothing but good, nothing but good, nothing but good. We have to make the narrative that making people freer people in this country to buy and sell and to and to uh, tailor things to their own uh, needs is superior. 
And, yeah, I'm, I'm and, I, sure and I do agree do with you. Yet. I think people don't really understand it, but I also think that that's the fault of the language used. I don't think you should use language like replace, uh, repeal. I don't think you should use language like throw out. I think they should have used very simple language like improve. We'd like yep. to improve the program. Then, you know, because who's against improvement? <laughs> you know? But uh, but then exactly. I, I'm a talk show host. You know, I care about that kind of language. We have to take our first break, but stay right where you are. We'll be right back with more from Jim Gilmore. You're listening to the Costa Report. Are you or someone you know suffering from a complex medical issue, seen multiple doctors, specialists, and had extensive testing done with still no answers? You're not alone. One-third of U.S. families have suffered from an unresolved medical condition after seeing two or more physicians. CrowdMed can help. CrowdMed streamlines the healthcare process, saving patients time and money and unnecessary hospital visits and irrelevant procedures, helping them get back to health faster. CrowdMed's secret to success is a network of doctors, nurses, and other medical professionals who collaborate with their unique sets of medical expertise to solve these complex cases faster. CrowdMed works in conjunction with the healthcare system, providing patients with medically sound information that's validated and confirmed by a licensed physician. CrowdMed has achieved a 75% success rate, producing a correct diagnosis in an average of just two to three months. To see how CrowdMed can help you or someone you love, Go to CrowdMed.com today. That's CrowdMed.com. Here's George Foreman with InventHelp. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. Call InventHelp today for free information. InventHelp has been helping inventors for more than 30 years and has sales offices nationwide. InventHelp can submit your invention to companies who are interested in receiving new ideas. If you have an idea and want to try to patent it and submit it to companies, you should call InventHelp today for free information. Listen, I can't guarantee a company will be interested in your idea, but I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-350-9514. That's 1-800-350-9514. Again, 1-800-350-9514. When you think of local, I want you to think of quality health care where you live. Think of local primary care physicians, local specialists, and local patient care coordinators. From Boulder Creek to Watsonville, Physicians Medical Group provides care from 100 locations throughout Santa Cruz County. PMG's patient care coordinators are the team you call when you need answers. To learn more about local health care with Physicians Medical Group, visit pmgscc.com or call 831-465-7800. Hello? Hi, Grandma. No, Grandma, I can't fix your computer. I'm sorry it's so slow, but I don't know what to do with it. You clicked on what? You better call user-friendly computing, because I can fix any PC, Mac, or laptop. They'll even come to your house and pick it up. But if you bring it to the shop, they'll give you a free $50 diagnostic just for saying you heard their ad on KSCO. No, Grandma. Downloading that free internet software won't save you time or money. Let's face it. Most of your computer problems these days start with the user being tricked into clicking on a link that contains a path to computer hell. User-friendly computing will have you back on track fast. User-friendly computing is locally owned at 505 River Street across from Gateway Plaza. Or you can give them a call at 831-423-9653. That's 831-423-9653. It's always open house at the Mike Young Real Estate Hour. And you are always invited to walk right in and join the discussion. Hello, I am Mike Young and I love talking real estate with all the experts and with you. So get a jump on the Real Estate Weekend every Friday, 7 p.m. on the Mike Young Real Estate Hour. Right here on Listen and Be Heard Radio KSCO. The Mike Young Real Estate Hour is brought to you by Thunderbird Real Estate, Real People Selling Real Estate, by Rick Williams at American Pacific Mortgage, and by Steve Manville at Farmers Insurance. Friday at 7, see you then.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is the former governor of Virginia, presidential candidate and chair of the Republican National Committee, Mr. Jim Gilmore. And before the break, we were talking about the postponement of the vote on the American Health Care Act. Now, another issue where the president is meeting resistance is immigration. And this also happened to be one of the areas where you and Mr. Trump differed during the 2016 presidential campaign. So I thought perhaps... We could step away from the controversy surrounding the temporary immigration travel and kind of get down to what real immigration reform would look like, starting with those who are already here and working illegally. How, how would you like to see Trump and the Republican Congress handle that? Well, Rebecca, it's, uh, it's, it's very tough. First of all, I don't think the Republicans need to send a message of hostility to anybody. Uh, I think that uh, stoking the idea that uh, we're anti-Hispanic or anti-Asian is, or, or something like that is, is not good public policy for the Republican Party. But on the other hand, i got to ask this question to people on the left. And that question is, what is your policy on immigration? People that, uh, that are just saying, well, everybody's here. Is it, should, it, should it be a law that if you're here, by hook or by crook, you get to stay and be a citizen? I don't think that that's an appropriate way of, of a dealing with uh, with America. I think we have to have people obey the law. So, I mean, I, I don't know uh, uh, how we're going to address this at this point, but I, but I think that uh, we're going to have to require that people obey the law, which means they have to come into this country legally and uh, and then play a part in, in the life of this nation after they're here and legally and gotten their green card. Well, you make a good point. I mean, you don't want to reward illegal behavior, but by the same token, the president indicated that he's in favor of deporting anyone that's here illegally. Uh, but I, I'm, I, I worry that if a provision like that's included in any comprehensive immigration plan, is he in danger of splitting the Republican leadership all over again, as, as he did with this health care program? Uh, I, I don't think that. Uh, I think the real the real danger is that the Republicans will be characterized as anti-immigrant or racist or white so white uh, supremacist or that kind of uh, bad kind of talk. Mm-hmm. And we we don't want to imply anything like that. What we do want to say is the the citizens of this country are entitled to know that their borders are secure and that people who are in this country are here under the American law. If you just say, well, no, we're just going to ignore the American law in this instance, then, you know, what other laws do we want to ignore that makes it convenient? And finally, I want to come back to the same point again. Is it the position of the left wing in this country that if you could just get here, then you get to be a citizen? I don't think anybody in your listening audience would think that ought to be the rule, but that seems to be the, uh, the argument they're making. Otherwise, uh, how, do you ever, how do you ever make people adhere to the law? Well, I do think most Americans agree that there has to be some kind of penalty for breaking the law. Otherwise, why not break it, right? Uh, and, you know, you you wanted there to be uh, penalties for circumventing legal ways of entering the country. And from this standpoint, w- would a pathway where illegal immigrants who are already here pay penalties or they're required to contribute X number of hours of community service work or, you know, some some such would, would that be a reasonable solution? Would that satisfy? Do you, do you feel like that would satisfy the left and the right? I don't know. Uh, the, the, and I'm not trying to tell you listeners now that I think that people who are illegal immigrants ought to be punished. I'm not, I don't think we try, need to be vindictive. But I do think that there has to be a legalization process. And by the way, we got one. If you come into this country, you come on a visa. When it expires, you go home. And that's the law. And, uh, you know, now to basically say, well, we're just going to throw that law out and, and just do whatever we want to do, I, I think is troubling from uh, the point of view of, of what kind of process we really ought to have. So what what is a solution? What's a solution that Democrats and Republicans could get behind for people that are already here, that are already working, uh, had children, raised families, bought homes here? It's really a challenge, Rebecca. Uh, I remember when I was practicing immigration law. Uh, there were a body of people in the Washington, D.C. area from Ethiopia, and they uh, wanted to just – they were here. They overstayed their visa. They just wanted to be here, and they wanted to work. And yet uh, they were required to depart from this country 
apply for a legal, a legal visa, return to this country, and then at that point apply for their green card. That was the process. Now, of course, we have millions and millions of people, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, we have to follow the American law. But but many of them are afraid. They're afraid that if they leave and they reapply, they may not be admitted back in. They may not be able to get back in. And yep. in, in particular, the the tone, as you will admit, in the 2016 election has made Im- uh, illegal immigrants even more fearful. That's exactly right. So it, it seems to me that uh, that we might, if, if I were a senator, I might be able to find a solution, uh, a, a solution where we, uh, you know, we we established a. Uh, what do you call it? a accelerated program for people who had demonstrated that they had been here, broken no laws, worked faithfully, paid taxes, and then if they were required under the law to depart, there might be an accelerated approach to bring them back, uh, and that their legitimate activity in this country would would be a credit to them uh, in in such an application. But now I'm making it up out of whole cloth. Nobody's proposed that uh, that I have seen on either side of the aisle. Uh, so, yeah, but so I like I it. Uh, did you just come yeah. up with that? Because I, 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 that gets my vote. <laughs> well, you know, I, I did. I did run for president. You know, so I was thinking about this. I, I was. I, I, was I imagine you this. were you were preparing for the debates. <laughs> but that, but that, but that would satisfy the law because people would have to return to their home country and make application. But then you could set down rules that said that a person would have an accelerated approach and a, and a back again. Uh, so that would be a way of satisfying the law and at the same time not being uh, you know, mean or cruel or uh, punishing people in, a, in an inappropriate way. But, uh, you know, uh, right now all you're hearing on the, uh, on the left is just throw the law out. Just don't have any law. Just any, if, you, if you can get here, you get to be a citizen. And I'll ask your listeners, is that, should that be the law? Well, I don't if think you is, want, we don't want to reward people for breaking our law, and we need people to be documented. But at the same time, I, I wouldn't be opposed to a penalty, some kind of additional tax you have to pay if you've broken the law, some kind of community service work that needs to be saw, signed off by law enforcement. You know, th- there has to be some uh, some kind of, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, repayment for having broken the law. That's what happens when you, you when you break many laws. You get fined. You, you, you stay too long in a parking place. You're fined. There's also a, a need. There's a need to be able to control who is coming in and who's not. Uh, you know, right now, today, we're seeing an awful lot of people in the Washington, D.C. area, in the Maryland area, that are part of this, uh, this uh, Hispanic gang. Yes, it's so uh, incredibly cruel and uh, and lawless. Uh, I, I think it's isn't it called? I think it's called. I haven't studied it, but I think it's MR thirteen or something like mm-hmm. that. And it's a these, this is really dangerous. This is this is uh, uh, something that's very very dangerous to the community. Yes, it um, is, and, and so you're we, you're right. But, we need to we need to make sure that these folks are documented, so we know where they are and uh, that they can be properly monitored. Uh, excuse me, Governor. We have to take another scheduled intermission, but stay tuned. We'll be back after these important messages from our sponsors. You're listening to the Costa Report. Men, if you're like me, you appreciate the feeling of a clean, smooth shave from a quality blade. The sort of shave that cuts clean without the burn. So why are you messing around with generic razors that cost 32 bucks for an 8-pack when you can shave with Harry's high-quality German-engineered blades for half the price? And because Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades, they'll send you their most popular set, complete with a razor, one of their world-famous blades, shaving cream, and post-shave balm for free if you cover shipping. A total value of $20 at no cost to you, with code 1170 at checkout. Their way of saying thank you for trying them. How is Harry's able to save you all this money and still give you the best shave you'll ever enjoy? By owning the factory that manufactures the blades. That's how. Go to harrys.com now and enter code 1170 at checkout to claim your free trial set and post-shave balm. That's harrys.com, code 1170. 
Hiring is the most challenging part of my job. We started using ZipRecruiter about three months ago. One click and my job was posted to 200 plus job boards, all the top sites. All of the candidates came to my dashboard and it's easy to compare them. And I couldn't believe the number of great applicants we got. I don't know how we hired before ZipRecruiter. Find the best candidates with ZipRecruiter, where your job is just one click away from 200 plus job sites. And right now you can try ZipRecruiter free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash radio offer. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash radio offer. Hi, Registered Pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years. And what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. Oh, my God. I had eaten something I shouldn't from the all-you-can-eat hotel buffet. My all-you-can-eat was quickly and violently wanting out. To understand the primal nature of digestive distress, it's important to understand the nature of something called the digestive brain. The digestive tract is in many ways like an independent animal that lives in our bodies. It has its own musculature and blood supply and immune system, and this digestive brain runs pretty much the whole digestive show. Even without stimulation of the central nervous system and the brain in the skull, many of the digestive processes will occur uninterrupted. Like the brain in our heads, the digestive brain depends on nerve chemicals called neurotransmitters to do its work. Chief among these biochemicals is the substance serotonin. Typically regarded as a type of happy hormone, serotonin is more accurately thought of as an alertness and emergency management hormone, and 95% of it is used by the digestive brain. Serotonin is charged with eliminating toxins from the digestive system. It shuts down the appetite. It slows down digestive juices. It stimulates elimination and evacuation of digestive contents through nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. Even the digestive discomfort of morning sickness may have a serotonin connection. These digestive effects have been exploited by drug companies looking for new markets for for serotonin drugs are supposedly only approved for mental health issues. These medications are being used for their appetite suppressant effects, and drug companies are studying their properties in their continuous search for anti-obesity pharmaceuticals. Pharmacist Ben here urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work go to kscohealth.com make sure you check out the cool videos too at kscohealth.com that's kscohealth.com this is sylvia panetta inviting you to join us for the second event in the 20th anniversary of the leon panetta lecture series on monday april 3rd secretary panetta will discuss the economy trade jobs taxes and immigration with Carly Fiorina and Robert Reich. What policies are best for our economy? How can we create good paying jobs and protect the American dream for everyone? Check your local listings. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is the former governor of Virginia, Mr. Jim Gilmore. And we have been talking about the components of a comprehensive and permanent immigration plan. So let's talk about the children of undocumented immigrants uh, who were born in this country. According to the law, they are naturalized citizens. So how should immigration reform handle these children and their parents? Because that's always a hot button anytime we talk about permanent reform. And I think that it's part of the resentment over the immigration issue, uh, a sense that people come to the country and then have children who are citizens of the United States. I have always believed that that, 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 uh, that constitutional provision should be strictly maintained. If you're a citizen of the United States, you're a citizen of the United States. If you're natural born, you're natural born. That's okay with me. But then you get, that creates the administrative problem that, frankly, some of the, uh, the illegal parents are trying to create, which is what do you do? They want, uh, you know, you've always heard, Rebecca, the discussion about anchor babies, which I think has created a lot of resentment among the American people. So, uh, you know, who knows, but I I think this, uh, uh, you know, there's no reason why if parents return to their native country in order to make a turnaround and come back legally, their children can go with them. They're citizens of the United States, and that's fine. If they want to stay here, that's fine, too, but 
uh, as citizens of the United States. But if they go with their parents, they're still citizens. They just don't happen to physically be here. I'm not sure I understand exactly what the problem necessarily is. Well, you mentioned earlier in the first segment that, uh, you know, if you uh, worked here a long time, you owned property, you paid taxes, you were a good citizen, but you came here illegally, that maybe you get bumped to the front of the line for legal uh, entry into the United States and you get a credit for having uh, served the country while you were here, even though illegally. Uh, would you give people a credit if they had uh, children that were naturalized citizens? You could define this any way you want to. And, and I might say for your listeners, I'm hesitant to define it as bumping somebody to the front of the line because there goes your reward, you see, ah. for, for having having broken the law. Now, all of a sudden, when you return to your native country, now you get a, you get a, a privilege. Uh, I'm not sure that we want to to engage in that reward. All I'm saying is that we can have a program for independent consideration. That's really what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily interested in bumping other people further back who have obeyed the law. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that, and you're right. It's it's once again rewarding people for illegal activity, which explains why I've never run for office, and I would make a terrible politician. <laughs> well, but but look, I mean, I want to I want to once again think this through. If the parents have got to go home to obey the law mm-hmm. and make an independent application to come back, that means that they their their children can't go with them. Yeah, they're just American citizens. That's of course, all. they're just and American if- citizens traveling abroad. So if, if that's precisely right. In fact, uh, we have uh, long histories of that kind of thing. And if, on the other hand, they say, wait a minute, you can't make me take my child with me. They're an American citizen. Well, okay. I guess the parents would better find some accommodation then, you know, because um, we, we're not obligated to do it. Now, recently, you know, we were just talking about this. Immigration has become associated with national security, but... Aside from the perpetrators of 9-11, all all of the recent domestic attacks have been performed by individuals who entered the country through legal means. And and that means that even if immigration reform had been enacted, none of these attacks would have been prevented necessarily. So help us understand, what is the basis for this idea that illegal immigration is a national security issue? Uh, I'm not sure that I would say that. Uh, and this is something, uh, Rebecca, I, I do know something about. I chaired the National Commission on Terrorism for the United States for five years, and yes. I was governor during the 9-11 attack. Uh, I've devoted a good deal of my life to thinking about the terrorism issue. Uh, and uh, the, the fact is that you can, have, you can have a danger inside this country from all kinds of sources. In fact, the greatest danger is that uh, people who are here who could be radicalized. Now, uh, I want to be clear, neither I nor my party are anti-Muslim. Neither I nor any Republican I know of are anti-Muslim. But it is true that the people like ISIS and the radicals are attempting to radicalize people of their common faith. And that is the challenge that we have to see here. That means that people here, they don't have to even be in a conspiracy. They can be radicalized and then turn around and do something crazy like we saw in San Bernardino and other places like that simply because they have been radicalized by the propaganda. Therefore, I believe that the challenge we're facing here is the war of ideas. We have to actually assert the rightness of the Western values and the rightness of uh, our liberties and, and cultural freedom here uh, so that everybody knows that we're standing up for the liberties that, that are represented in our Constitution and the Declaration. That has to be impressed. Otherwise, I'm afraid you can, you can end up with anybody anywhere uh, you know, carrying out a lone wolf type of attack. Well, we just ha- saw that in London. Uh, the fellow who carried out the recent attack in London uh, near the British Parliament was a British citizen that was radicalized. Uh, That's correct. And we find that here in our country as well. So your point's well taken. Uh, But on the other hand, uh, we have leaders now pointing to the Maryland high school student who was raped by an undocumented immigrant, right? And Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, a victim who was killed in San Francisco, and and somehow tying that into a national security issue, it's it's confusing to the American public because I go, well, that's those are not that's not terrorism; those are just crimes. Well, that's correct, and and of course, terrorism is a crime. It's just based, of, I, I believe, upon one of two things: either an effort to change the world politically, or an irrational uh, hatred that is uh, impressed upon people's minds. Therefore, we have to do a couple of things. 
we have to have greater citizen involvement to point out dangers uh, to the proper authorities. Otherwise, we're not going to be a free country if gangland people or terrorists can take over our streets. So uh, it seems to me that family members, friends, neighbors, we don't want we don't want uh, you know a, a, a society of, of snitches, but we do we do need citizens involvement and a commitment to the community to say that if a person is behaving erratically or dangerously there needs to be an intervention of some kind but that's really hard that that's really hard to put on citizens don't you think i mean in my neighborhood everybody behaves bizarrely i'd have to turn them all in <laughs> Well, what, that, that million-dollar place you live in? Come oh, on. Oh, no, yeah. I'm just saying that, you know, there's a lot of odd cats around my, my neighborhood. And, and they don't – I don't even I – I wouldn't know if one of them was extremely dangerous or not. In fact, the other day I was boarding a flight, and a fellow, uh, he made me a little bit nervous. There was something about him. He was very, uh, he was sweaty. He was getting up and down. He, you know, he, he was probably afraid of flying is the best I could tell. But there was something about him. And then I didn't like that all of his clothes were new. He had brand new shoes, brand new backpack, brand new shirt. And I thought, you look like you just went to a store and tried to dress up like an American. And I, and I got very nervous. And I thought, now, here's a classic case. Do I get up and make a big hug, you know, hubbubaloo about this thing? Or do I just get on the plane and hope I'm lucky? Well, that's, a, that's an excellent point, and uh, you ought to be in the FBI, by the way. We'll, we'll get you that for your next job, <laughs> Rebecca. But, but no, here, seriously, uh, what, I'm, what I am, I'm not exactly saying that. What I am saying is that if you're in a community and you suddenly see young people uh, buying firearms and making wild statements about how they're going to shoot people in the name of the faith, we ought to have a report of that. Of course, now, of course, but now, there's so you know, many marginal situations. I'm and, sure you, and you encounter those yourself where you go, do I just step in here? or you, What, what would you, you recommend? And, and a free society does not expect that kind of thing. Uh, there is some risk of living in a free society, and we recognize that. I just think that when, uh, when the danger is becoming more and more obvious to friends, family, and neighbors that there is a citizen's obligation to report the potential danger. And yes, uh, maybe we are at this point placing a higher uh, demand on citizenship in the United States. But uh, frankly, the demands of, of citizenship in this country have been even greater in the past than they are now, particularly when you're in danger. Yes, and that's we, right. This, and this country is in danger. We are in a guerrilla war. Yes, that, that is right. And your point is well taken that uh, the more citizens that have their eyes open, the safer that the, the country is. And we have to take our last break, but we'll be right back with more from Jim Gilmore. You're listening to the Costa Report. Dr. Kent Brantley contracted Ebola while working as a medical missionary in Liberia. Kent's boss, Franklin Graham, talked to Kent's wife after he heard the news. There wasn't much I could say to comfort her, um, but I told her, I said, we try to do all that we can. Kent was healed of the disease, but in the moment, it was a really dark time. The Brantleys faced that darkness with God's help, and so did Franklin Graham. I told Kent yesterday that he's responsible for one of the worst weeks of my life. <laughs> he said it wasn't much better for him. They can laugh about it now, but before that joy, there was pain, fear, darkness, and a lot of prayer. And to see answered prayer, wow, it's great. It's hard for me to talk without getting emotional because I knew what Kent was facing. If you're facing darkness, there is hope. Learn about it at findpeacewithgod.net. We're the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars, recent winners of the best sparkling wine in the U.S. in the Champagne and Sparkling Wine World Championship. Congratulations, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. 
So what is it about your Brut Cuvée that beat all the other competitors around the world? We really focus on creating an expression of the Santa Lucia Highlands and doing it the right way. And when you control the process from the beginning to the end and you have talent like Michelle and top-tier grapes, they really shine through. This was a worldwide competition. It was definitely a humbling experience. We were in a room with producers that have been making wine for over 100, 200 years and was a huge honor to have Tom Stevenson give us the best U.S. Sparkling Wine Award. We fared really well overall. We had three wines win best of class, which was great. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel by the Sea, or find us online at caracciolicellars.com, or reach us by phone, 831-622-7722. Hi, this is Meg from Ben Loma Market, calling in to let you know what we've got going on on sales in the meat department this week. Center cut pork chops. Four ninety nine a pound pork shoulder roast and pork steaks just two ninety nine a pound peeled and deveined forty one fifty shrimps nine ninety nine a pound so the forty one fifty means that's the number of shrimp you get in a pound so a lot of shrimp all of our made in house marinated tri tips are on sale for just eight ninety nine a pound and the flavors are teriyaki Hawaiian Santa Maria burgundy pepper chili lime and bloody mary it's a great saving and these roasts are absolutely delicious. So Big Joe in Produce would like you to spring into savings. He has red and green romaine lettuce on sale for $1.29 each. Small avocados, $0.99 cents each. Salad tomatoes, $1.49 a pound. And strawberries at two forty nine a basket. In organics, red or gold bunch beets at $1.99 a pound. Strawberries and blueberries, only three ninety nine a basket. Check out the sales that we have going on throughout the store. And thank you for shopping with us at Ben Loman Market. When Dad needed help getting around, I became his driver. Soon enough, it was up to me to be his housekeeper and financial manager, too. When he moved in, I became his cook and even his nurse. But no matter what roles I play, I know I'm still his daughter. We understand the roles you play. So to help, we created aarp.org caregiving, where you can connect with experts and other caregivers. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Michael Olson's first law of the food chain. Agriculture is the foundation upon which we build all our sandcastles. That's right, folks. No surplus of food, no sandcastles. So before we all get upset from the dust and noise of agriculture, let's get together Saturday at 9 a.m. as the Food Chain Radio Show goes behind the scenes of the industry that keeps us all civilized. If you have a comment about the first law of the food chain, tell me, Michael Olson, all about it at metrofarm.com. Now, see you all on KSCO Saturday at 9 a.m. for some What's Eating What Radio on the Food Chain. What day was that? Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, we're speaking with Mr. Jim Gilmore. I thought we could uh, switch gears here for a moment uh, and talk a little bit about the media. As you know, the media has been taking a lot of hits for fake news. And uh, as a radio talk show host, I have to say, a lot of that is deserved. <laughs> we, I'm sorry, but we live in a time when the media has uh, clearly forgotten that its primary responsibility is to be a facilitator uh, um, and, and, and a conduit of news and uh you know, I was I was never formally trained as a professional broadcaster, but many years ago I, I did join the broadcasting community in order to try to separate fact from fiction as much as I'm I'm able to these days. So along those lines, you too were highly critical of the press during your two thousand sixteen campaign. So let's talk about that for a minute. In your view, has the mainstream media treated the Trump presidency differently than say the Obama or the Bush presidency? And and if so, how? Well, of, of course, the the media is, has been continuously and relentlessly critical of the president. And uh, I, I think he has not yet had a fair chance to really put his ideas forward and his programs together, uh, to his programs forward. Uh, and they, uh, the, the press is, I think, doing everything they could do to uh, really poison the well of the American people. But on the other hand, uh, you know, President Trump is, uh, is doing things that uh, sometimes create uh, some, you know, uh, you know, some uh, attention, shall we say. And, uh, you know, I think it always comes back down to the citizen. I, I want to maybe just lay this out for you, Rebecca. When when I was running in New Hampshire, uh, the, the press was promoting Trump every day. They were promoting him either critically or favorably, but they were talking about him every day. And other candidates, such as myself, never could get it from under that umbrella. 
Now, the fact is that, that Donald Trump has turned out to be a unique candidate, one widely known, widely publicized, uh, and as a result of that, he got the votes. And, but he also had the right message, and his message was, uh, Donald Trump's message was, uh, I'm going to do something to get people back to work again, and that was music to the ears of people in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. That's what made the difference in the campaign. Now, of course, we have to get forward out here and grow the economy and do some tax reform and deliver, and I believe that he will. But as we look at this first 100 days, he has met resistance like, you know, as though the Congress is Democratic. I mean, he has not had the support that you would have expected. Well, again, back to the to the media. The media is relentlessly in opposition. There's never any sort of uh, idea being put out there of any kind of constructive idea about what Trump's trying to do. Uh, you know, and you're right. Uh, I do. However, I do believe that the the Republicans in the House and the Senate are going to do a tax reform that will grow the economy. And there we have the moral high ground. Whereas all the issues we've talked about up to this point, it's very easy to poison the well on Republican positions. I think when the time comes to talk about growing the economy and creating more jobs, the Republicans have the high ground and Donald Trump has the high ground. Well, uh, you would think that he would have started there. <laughs> you know, I, I would have, you know, I don't know, from a strategic standpoint, something as complicated as health care, I would have said, listen, folks, we could try to rush something through, but... You know, let's let's take the time to make sure that it's right. And and then jumped on tax reform, which would have been really hard for the Democrats not to agree on. I think, you know, all of America wants tax relief, don't they? Yes. Well, look, they said in the campaign, we're going to repeal and replace, repeal and replace, repeal and replace. And I think that there's a desire to keep the pledge. I know when uh, when I ran for governor of Virginia, I said that I was going to cut the car tax, and then at that point I was going to move heaven and earth, Rebecca, to make sure that I kept my word. So I think that that's driving people. However, strategically, I agree with you. I think the better approach would have been to have talked about a tax reform and fought over the issue of whether we were you know, accommodating the rich or cut tax cuts for the rich and all that stuff, sure. when instead the goal is to liberate capital, to make it easier to start a business, keep more money in working people's pockets, and make a better quality of life. And I think that the Republicans have the high ground on that issue. Well, now, the press has done, as we, you and I both agree, uh, they have been after Mr. Trump uh, during the campaign, after the, after the election was over. They, they have been relentless. That's a good word to use. Along those lines, do you think Mr. Trump is now just uh, avoiding the press by going straight to the public via these, tw- these tweets in the same way that President Roosevelt began hosting fireside chats? I mean, are tweets the modern-day version of fireside chats? See, I just think that's a great analogy. Uh, I think you're exactly right. And I, I want to underscore once again this point. The world has changed. We live today in a society of electronic media, and, and the cable television shows, talk radio, and others are really delivering the message to the American people. But the years are still ahead of us of social media. And, in fact, uh, Trump has been the great originator of the use of the tweet, and that becomes uh, amplified on the regular television. Uh, but, yes, he is going over the heads of the media and talking directly to the American people through social media. The genius of it is that when he does the tweet, anybody that didn't see the tweets or isn't on Twitter or pay any attention to that, well, they hear it on the evening news. Well, that's right. And the other genius is is that it doesn't give a lot of room for the media to interpret it because uh, it's out there directly to the American people. So uh, he yeah, is well, bypassing the media to a certain extent. They're doing a lot of they are they are doing a lot of, of interpretation, Rebecca. But the fact is that he's picking the topics. Yeah, he's there you the go. one who's driving the message. And at that point, you can argue about it or criticize it, but you're still talking about his message. And I I just think that's great communications and taking advantage of the modern communications era we're living in. Well, he's reaching an awful lot of people, that's for sure. Unfortunately, we are just about out of time. But uh, before we say goodbye and let you go. Thank you for your service to our nation and for taking time to speak with us today. Thank you, Mr. Gilmore. you got a great following. Keep up the good work, Rebecca. Th- thank, and thank you so you. much, sir, and we hope you'll come back. I will.
We have been talking today with the former governor of Virginia, chair of the RNC, Jim Gilmore, who understands only too well how hard it is to assemble a cabinet that can get the job done and satisfy expectations. And if you're hiring, you face the same kinds of challenges government leaders do, like Gilmore. Where can you post your job opening to find the very best candidates? You and I know that posting your job in one place isn't enough to find candidates anymore. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites, cover every base, and now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 200-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person for the job fast. It's so easy to use. It's what we at the Costa Report use to scour the planet for the very best talent in radio. And I don't mind saying that that is the reason we can deliver quality interviews like the one you just heard today week after week. But you can use ZipRecruiter to fill any job, whether you're looking for an IT manager, ER nurse, secretary, programmer, a sous chef, a truck driver. ZipRecruiter is the best way to find the best person for your job. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies as well as thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. And right now, listeners of this program can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. By going to ZipRecruiter.com slash report. Be sure you get that slash report in there. That's right, completely free. And everyone knows that if it's completely free, you've got nothing to lose. So what are you waiting for? If you have a job opening, go to ZipRecruiter slash report. One more time to try it for completely free, go to ZipRecruiter slash report, R-E-P-O-R-T. Get the slash report in there. And that almost wraps it up for our first hour. If your station is leaving us after this first hour and you are listening to this broadcast, let me tell you, you want to mark your calendar because my guest next week is going to be talking about why President Trump really needs to go big on tax cuts and tax reform. The founder of Forbes magazine and also former presidential candidate, Mr. Steve Forbes, will be in the house. So don't miss Steve Forbes right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.